Pastor Jason. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast from United Church. We pray that this blesses and encourages you in your walk with God. If you'd like to find more information about our church, including our address, upcoming events, or find a place to give, feel free to visit our website at fergusunited.org. God bless and enjoy the message. I'm going to go to James chapter 4 and verse 14. And I want to preach a, a simple title today, and the title would just be Moments. Moments. <clears throat> James 4 and 14 says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. So it lets us know that our life at large is, is nothing but a vapor, like a puff of smoke that we see for a moment and then it's gone. <clears throat> Psalms chapter 90 verses 9 through 12 tells us, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, so seventy or eighty, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. He says in verse 12, or he requests in verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So our days on, on this planet, on earth, our days in the flesh that we wear... Day, excuse me, day after day is numbered. And one more, Psalms 39, verses 4 and 5. The psalmist says, Lord, make me to know mine end, the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Are you encouraged yet? Our days are numbered. Our, at our, our very best, we're vanity. It, it appears for a moment, and then it's gone. Scripture holds little reserve for our feelings when describing the frail and fleeting nature of our lives. The younger we are in life, the more difficult this is to comprehend. I realize we're not having Sunday school today, and some of the children are thinking that can't be true. Because, you know, Jace, you're eight years old, and you've already, it's already been an eternity, right? It seems like... It takes an abbreviated eternity just to reach double digits. If we can, as adults, if we can rewind our minds for a little while, as a child, you just think, oh, how long is it going to take? And finally, you become 10. And it took so long to get there, and you have two numbers to describe your age. And then time slows even more as you begin to wait for your teen years. If I could just be a... When I'm a teenager, then I'm going to have arrived. And yet, it seems like it's just this slow crawl to get there. And finally, you arrive at, at 13 years old, and the bar moves again. You say, oh, but if I could just reach 16 and have the freedom of being able to drive, and oh, how wonderful that's going to be. And it just seems like it, it takes so long to get there. Those three years, it, it, it might as well be a hundred. 
And then at 16, oh, it's just only, it's only two more years until I'm 18 and I have the, the liberty of adulthood, legal adulthood, and, and those years just slowly, slowly crawl by. But as time ticks on consistently and ages us along the way, we begin to better understand how quickly it passes. Even then, it's hard to capture or even gauge time. Now, at this stage in life, I think, man, where did, where did the summer go? And then when I really think about it, I go, well, well where did 2022 go? <laughs> like, how are we already halfway through the next year? And it seems like they just, one, one year goes faster than the next. It's like we reach a tipping point. I don't like to think about it this way, but even according to the words of the psalmist, I'm, I'm like midlife now. There's going to be a crisis at any moment. You go out and buy some kind of sports car. No, I'm not, because they wouldn't approve the loan. <laughs> but but there's this there's a perception change that all of a sudden it seems like what used to take so long to pass, now they just click by. Moments and days and hours and years and it's just wow. I mean you blink and it's Sunday again. The Friday rolls around or Thursday rolls around and the weekend arrives and you, you fall asleep one night, you wake up and it's Monday all over again. It just, it's just so incredibly quick. But time is also, it's a strange thing. When you're caught up in an activity that you do not enjoy, it seems as if time plays a very cruel joke on you and slows way down. You've got to do paperwork or, or you're sitting down to pay bills or, or there's some monotonous task that has to be performed and, and you work on it until you know you feel like the clock has gone full circle and you look up and it's been about seven minutes the work day that's dragging on maybe it's a, a slow day at work and there's not that much to do but you can't leave and so you're just there and and surely it's time to go home yet oh no it, it's only nine o'clock in the morning and it's just slowly 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 ticking by <clears throat> flip that on its head and Put yourself in a position where you're facing a deadline or engaging in activity that you find pleasant and time leaps ahead and, and just disappears. You know, you, you get just barely get started and you're just having a little bit of fun and you look up and it's time to leave. <coughs> it's just it's odd how our perception of time changes depending on what we're doing and where we are in life. I'm not even preaching today about a lifetime. Lifetime. Many times we stand up at, at someone's funeral or after their passing and we begin to speak about their lifetime. I'm preaching today about moments. Seemingly insignificant measurements of time. If our life is reduced to a small section of rope, maybe you've seen this analogy. I guess I could have brought a rope, but I didn't. If you were to take a 100-foot rope and roll it out across the sanctuary this morning, and you could take maybe an inch of that rope and you could color it red, and that would represent our life in the spectrum of eternity. That's why when we're looking at things from God's perspective, He can say it's like a vapor that's here and then it's gone. We feel like uh, an individual who lived 70, 80, maybe they live 100 years. Wow, that, that's such a long time because we put it in the context of our fleshly understanding. And, and our flesh can't understand much more than 100 years. Now, when we look at things from God's perspective and, and we see eternity, you really want to just kind of drive yourself crazy for a little while? Just sit and try to comprehend eternity. We have nothing to compare that to. We can't, we can't really fathom or, or quantify eternity because it just, it not only keeps going, but it's always been. And we're just a little dot on the, the timeline of eternity. So if our life could be reduced to sp such a small spot in the spectrum of time, how much smaller a moment? Just, just a, a, 60 second period of time it would be <clears throat> unrecognizable on the same scale 
We could not fathom it. We, we couldn't see it. It's become cliche to declare that our life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. Aw, isn't that so cute? In reality, our life is measured by the sum of all of our moments together. Not just the ones that take our breath away, but the ones that bore us out of our mind. Not just the great moments, but the, the really, really bad moments. The ugly moments, the great moments. All of them combined make up our life. And yet some moments seem to hold more importance or have a greater impact than others. <clears throat> For instance, the moment you were born. That's a pretty important moment in your life. Now it was... It, it was thought about it was in process for approximately nine months before it took place hopefully there was some preparation that took place however it came down to a moment in time that you were born your birth record has an exact minute written on it the moment that you took up or tried for the first time that that favorite hobby that you love so much there, there was a moment that that happened. The moment that you got down on one knee and proposed. Or the moment, ladies, that, that you said yes. See, that came down to, to a minute, to a moment in time. I thought about proposing. I, I planned it out. I, I made preparation. I went and I bought the ring. But all of that forthrall, all of those moments leading up to that, would lose their significance if it were not for the action taken in that precise moment. That moment had more impact. <clears throat> we could become spiritual and talk about the, the moment that we were initially filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That moment impacted our lives tremendously. Our response in certain moments has lasting impact. Some moments in our life hold potential to impact eternity. So now we're, we're having to view this minuscule measurement of time, the moment, in such a way that some of those can impact that grand scale of eternity. Singular decisions that are made can alter the course of an individual's eternal path. I'm going to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And this is what we would call our great commission. <clears throat> and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You and I, as Christians, have a God-given mission. We have a task that we have been given by Jesus himself. In fact, I could say that our purpose in remaining on earth after salvation is the fulfillment of this mission. If it were not for lost people needing to know about Jesus and you and I being the method that Jesus chose to reach them, it would be better for both him and us if the moment we were saved, you know, like we repent of our sins, we put our faith in God, we're baptized in Jesus' name, He fills us with the Holy Ghost, and we just drop dead. That'd be the best possible case for you. Because then there's no potential of you backsliding. There's no potential of you messing up. You're more right with God in that moment than, than you've ever been. You're pure and you're holy in His sight. And it would be better for Him, and it'd be better for you, for you to just go to heaven. But he doesn't do that. He leaves us here and he gives us a mission. 
He gives us a job. This mission, like so many other things in our life, has a deadline. We don't put this into words very often. But we are living right now in a dispensation of grace. A time period in God's scale of eternity in which He's extended grace to mankind. The grace to repent. The grace to become obedient to His Word. In which He will wash away their sins and He will redeem their soul. We're living in this time period of grace, but this time period has an expiration date that none of us know. There's going to come a time when that window is closed and judgment takes place. So our mission to reach lost people has a deadline. There is a a time stamp that has been put on it, and only God knows the day and the hour. Many Christians operate with a deficiency of moments regarding the commitments they make to this world, therefore making the mission of reaching others incredibly inconvenient. Say that again and then I'm going to explain it a little bit. Many Christians operate with a deficiency of moments regarding the commitments they make to this world and therefore make the mission of reaching others incredibly inconvenient. We have a tendency to overcommit to the things of life. We've got the same amount of minutes in every day. We're going to talk about those in a minute. We're going to break that down. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't process everything in in, um, the mindset of, okay, how many moments will that cost me? How much time will that take? And so work requires so much time and family requires so much time and this requires time and that requires time and I say yes to this and I take up that. and, And before you know it, we're operating with a deficiency of moments. We have more things in our life trying to withdraw time from us than we have time to offer. We call that being really busy. And we just get used to it. That's the life we live. We're, it's fast paced. We're, we're moving and grooving. We're getting things done. The problem is it doesn't even account for the mission that we've been given by God. And so now the, the idea of, of taking moments to invest into accomplishing my mission becomes incredibly inconvenient because I'm already operating at a deficiency. I don't have any moments to withdraw. I don't have any time to to extend in that direction. (coughs) Time, like money, must be budgeted and spent intentionally or it seems to disappear. I've gotten to the point where I don't, I don't like to have cash because cash to me is easier to spend. Some people say it's easier to swipe a card. Well, I, I have to actually think about it. I don't like cash is just easy to, to buy something at the gas station to do this, to do that. If, if we don't budget our money, if we don't take our finances and have a plan for how we're going to spend them, I don't know about you, but mine just has a way of spending itself. If I'm not thinking about it, if I'm not being intentional about it, time operates the same way. Because whether or not you're intentional about it, the clock just keeps ticking by. If you don't have a plan, it doesn't stop and wait for you to have a plan. You can't even hit pause long enough to make a plan. Making a plan is going to cost you time. It just never stops. It keeps moving forward. The problem with being busy sometimes is we start to chase the clock rather than manage the clock. And we're always behind. We're always trying to make up time. Well, you can go out and make more money, but we cannot make time. We can't do that. There is a portion of Scripture that talks about redeeming the time. But that's, that's, that's not making time. It's making better use of the time. 1,140 minutes in each day. That sounds like a lot of time, doesn't it? 1,140 minutes. But let's break that down a little bit. Let's say that you spend 
eight hours. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's say that you spend eight hours either working or engaging in school. So I got bad news, guys. School's not that far away. Okay, that's 480 minutes. You just spent 480 minutes. We don't really have a choice in spending that. If you're going to live in the society that we're a part of, you're probably going to do one of those two things. You're going to engage in activities uh, throughout the day that require that of you. You're supposed to, and I'm just gonna use this as a round number, most of us fail in this category, but they say you should get around eight hours of sleep. Okay, I'm, I'm not doing well in that category. But that's another 480 minutes. That's why I'm not doing well in that category. This is where I try to redeem the time, and sometimes it's not very effective. So that's another 480 minutes. You're going to spend approximately 90 minutes preparing and eating food each day. That's kind of weird to think about. Roughly an hour and a half surrounding three meals, maybe a snack or two in the mix, and, and that takes up time. Let's say that you spend 60 minutes commuting from one point to another and driving to here and having to go to the store. And that's probably a little shallow on the budget end, but we'll, we'll say 60 minutes. That leaves you with 330 minutes or five and a half hours in every 24 hour period to do everything else that you're responsible for. Now all of a sudden we don't have that much time. Because there's a lot of things that fall into other categories other than working, going to school, sleeping, and eating. We've got side jobs. We've got other interests. We have after-school activities. We have church today. We have uh, Bible studies on midweek. We, we've got uh, family that we're supposed to spend time with and friends that we're trying to cultivate relationships with. And all of those other responsibilities, we could go on and on and on, have to be crammed into approximately five and a half hours per day. There's no wonder that we feel busy. I know there are a lot of other things that go into this, this time budget, if we'll call it that, but at least it serves as a starting point. Those five and a half hours a day amount to 38 and a half hours per week. 38 and a half hours per week. The convicting question that has to be asked is, how much of that time do we use to accomplish the mission? Because we've got all the other responsibilities calling for our attention and it can just, it can block out and it can overwhelm and just whitewash the fact that we have a God-given mission to be reaching for lost people that don't know Jesus. The one thing he said, go do this, and then he left earth. It was go and reach the lost. Go teach people and, and coach them through to the point of baptism and salvation and then continue teaching them so that they can observe all the things that I've commanded you. We comfort ourselves sometimes by saying, well, that's, that's what I do within my own home. That's, that's what we're doing here on Sunday. Well, that's really not what we're doing here on Sunday. We're rallying together. We're worshiping God. We're being edified by his word, maybe challenged to engage in, in the work of the kingdom. But other than somebody that's lost finding their way to us, there's not a lot of evangelism that takes place on a Sunday. And the commands are not inward commands. When we read the commands of outreach, we could read the passage that we just did from Matthew 28, or we could go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. They're very outward commands. Go to this place and then to this place. It's a reaching outward and external. So when we pull that, that bandage off of, of making ourselves feel good with, with church stuff, we still have to answer the question, how much of my time am I intentionally investing in fulfilling the mission? 
Or are we so busy that we do not realize or feel that we cannot capitalize on moments that God places along our path? The fact is that God does place moments along our path. We're going to read a couple here and we're going to go through some things in Scripture where this happens. My fear is that as a society and, and even as a church, we can become so busy that we don't, we don't even see them. We don't recognize them. Or we do recognize them and we, with all the guilt that we feel, turn away from them because we don't believe that we have the time to invest there. Let's go to Acts chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, Give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. I want us to notice a couple things from this passage. Number one, Peter and John had plans. They weren't wandering around the streets looking for someone that they could, well, maybe they were. That was probably their mindset. That's why they responded the way they did. But on their calendar, on their agenda for the day, nine o'clock was prayer at the temple. And they're on their way to the temple. Their plans were routine. This was a common occurrence that they would go to the temple. There was another common occurrence, and that is that this lame man, the Bible says, was laid at the gate daily. I wondered as I read by this, how many days did they pass the lame man in order to get to prayer? How many times did they walk by him? How many times did they not have the time or not recognize the opportunity? See, this encounter was not out of the ordinary, but their actions in this moment were important enough to be recorded in Scripture. God said the way they responded in that moment, I want to record that in my word so that my followers from here on out are going to know about it. The account demonstrates to us the impact of just a moment. As they went about their pre-scheduled day, laid in their path of activity was an opportunity to engage in the mission. Capitalizing on this moment opened the door to further evangelize the people of the city. If you continue reading Acts chapter 3. So it wasn't just an impact on this man's life, but it was other people that seen what took place in his life. There are times in our day-to-day -day lives that we're just going through our, our routine. We're going through our emotions. We're doing what we do that it, it feels like out of nowhere, but it's really not out of nowhere. God ordains these things, and we have moments in which we can respond to people in a way that, that changes their course. There's windows of time that are opened up <clears throat> that we can reach out to. And, and extend a hand of fellowship, extend prayer, extend an invitation to church into people's lives. And just like here in this scripture, many times it doesn't stop with just them. You reach one person and guess what? That person has family and they have friends and they have people they're connected to. And they have people that don't even like them, but see the change in their life and can't help but take note that God has been at work. And so there's a trickle effect because of our actions in one moment when we see the opportunity arise, it can impact the course of eternity 
for large groups of people. Full disclosure, the miraculous moment that we read about in Acts chapter 3 did ruin their plans for the rest of the day. Like, if you continue reading, the rest of their day got kind of rough. Sometimes that's what we're afraid of. I see the opportunity. I see the open door. But if I stop and I do this right now, I'm going to be late for that. I'm going to miss out on this. I, I'm not going to be able to fulfill that, that time commitment over there. It did mess up the rest of their day. But given the results, I think they were okay with it. I mean, they seen a lame man get up and leap and walk into the temple. They seen people that didn't know Jesus or... You read the words. He preaches a very convicting message. When they want to know how this happened, he said, don't look at me. I did, I'm not able to heal this guy. You remember Jesus, the guy that you know everybody wanted to kill? Yeah, it was by his power. And he begins to preach to them about Jesus and more evangelism comes out of it. This was just a moment in their day-to-day routine. Acts chapter 8 Starting at verse 26, we see another event that takes place. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? In this passage, we see God directing Philip to a moment that was not in his daily agenda. This is where it really gets difficult. The last one was inconvenient, but at least it was already in my path. Here, God directs Philip to something that he was not planning on at all. He says in verse 26, Arise, and go to the south under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Hey, Philip, I want you to get up and go into the desert. We feel these nudgings, these promptings of the Holy Ghost sometimes, and we say, well, that's crazy. Why would I do that? And we don't do it. We don't go. Philip is called to an intentional time of evangelism. He's called to a very specific place. God nudges him and says, I want you to go to this place and doesn't give him any more detail. See, we're so protective of our time. We will go if God gives us the the entire plan and blueprint of why. That way we can explain to others what we're doing. We can justify the expense of time that it took to get there. God didn't do that. Furthermore, he's called to engage someone that from his initial perspective was not looking for engagement. Can anybody relate to that? The Ethiopian is in the desert in his chariot. Okay? That's not like he's in the marketplace. He he doesn't have one of those tables with his opinion that says, change my mind. He's not looking to engage in conversation. He's in the desert inside of his chariot. And God speaks to Philip and says, hey, go join yourself to that chariot. Right? So that's like God telling you, listen, I want you to go to Walmart. Like, okay. You get to Walmart. And he says, see that car over there in the corner? That guy sitting in his car? Go knock on his window. Just be honest. It's uncomfortable. That's what, that's what God is telling Philip to do right now. Go join yourself to his chariot. 
This was inconvenient and uncomfortable. However, it was extremely effective. We continue down to verse 35 of Acts chapter 8. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, that, that blows my mind too. So apparently the chariot was in transit. It was in route. And so not only did he, he go and, and meet with this guy, he just got in and was like, hey, wherever you're going, I'll go with you. I don't, don't do that at Walmart. <laughs> just proving a point here. Verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. <coughs> and he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Philip's moment of obedience when prompted to go to the desert led to his moment of obedience when prompted to approach a stranger, which led to a conversion, which led to a man's sins being washed away in the waters of baptism. Moments. See, he had multiple times. We, we look at this as an account. We, we always look at things that, from the uh, scriptural perspective and we see the big picture, but Philip didn't see the big picture. He had individual moments in which he had to make decisions of obedience to be mission-minded. The moment where he was called to the desert. The moment where he was instructed to join himself to the eunuch's chariot. The moment where he opened his mouth and began to preach the message of Jesus. Moments. We have to maximize our moments. I don't believe that these kind of God moments existed in biblical times and at some point ceased to exist. Like God doesn't do that anymore. No, He does. These opportunities are set before us, I believe, more than we recognize. So the question is, how do we become better at recognizing God moments in our life? How do we get better at that? <clears throat> I want to give us three things and I'm going to try to make my way through here fairly quickly. Number one, we have to become more mission-minded. <clears throat> Oftentimes, we fail to see God moments that are set before us because our minds are too far removed from the mission. We're just not thinking about it. So we don't recognize it. We become fixated on the task that seems most pressing at the time and refuse to allow anything else to interfere with our ability to accomplish that task. We become driven. We become focused. I got to get X, Y, Z thing done. And so all of these opportunities that exist in the peripheral, we just block those out. Not because we're cold hearted toward God or we don't care about other people's eternity. We're, we're just not there mentally. So becoming more mission minded helps us. Likewise, when we allow the mission of reaching hell-bound humanity with the gospel to, um, to impact us, we become afraid because we recognize how much time it's going to take. Right? There is an, an apprehension to ask for a Bible study because then I have to find the time to teach a Bible study. And so we just, if I can somehow gloss it out of my memory or, or gloss it out of my mindset, then I, I can avoid that. I can put it off a little bit longer. <clears throat> Jesus walked this earth and, and gave us an incredible example of how to live. He oftentimes had plans and destinations that he was trying to reach. When you read through the Gospels, Jesus wasn't just idle you know, he wasn't just hanging out. He was usually going somewhere with the intention of doing something. And yet over and over and over again, we see him pause long enough to have impactful moments with people that needed him. 
That is the example that we have to follow. He was able to do that because he was very mission-minded. So when we wake up and we start our day, that should be maybe a part of our, our prayer in the morning. God, help me to, to view people the way you do today. Help me not to get so caught up in this, this list of things that I have to do. And these are important. These aren't just frivolous things. I'm not saying that everything else in our life is, is unimportant. You need to do good at your job. Because providing for your family is biblical. But in the, in the midst of all of this, God, help me to be mission-minded today. Help me to see opportunities to impact people for your kingdom. <clears throat> Secondly, we need to become more familiar with the voice of God. We read through Acts chapter 8 and we just, we just kind of move from one verse to the other. But we have to take note that Philip recognized the voice of God as the voice of God. When the, when the angel of the Lord said, go into the desert, he didn't say, wow, what did I eat for dinner last night? I just had the craziest idea. He didn't somehow take that voice of God and make it his own thought and, and then find it easier to dismiss. When you're walking through the supermarket and God nudges you and says, listen, go over there and ask that person how their day's going. Start a conversation with that stranger. We are so quick to take the voice of God and turn it into the voice of our own mind and say, oh, what a silly idea. And then move on. When has it ever been your idea to approach a stranger? No, we, that's not how we operate. There are some people that really, they just thrive on that. Most of us don't. So I want to recognize the voice of God as the voice of God. Secondly, his comfort level with the voice of God outweighed his level of discomfort with the situation. I don't think Philip was any more comfortable walking up to a prominent individual's carriage. When the scripture describes this eunuch, he was a, a wealthy individual. He represented the queen of the Ethiopians. He, he probably had staff around him and other individuals that were there protecting him. I don't think he was real comfortable just strolling up saying, hey, mind if I get in? But his comfort level with the voice of God outweighed his discomfort with the situation. Sometimes we're so intimidated by the idea of outreach and evangelism because we're, we're not familiar enough or not, not confident enough in the prompting of the Holy Ghost that's leading us into that situation. I have to become more familiar with the voice of God. We become more familiar with His voice as we spend time talking to Him. <clears throat> so through prayer. And I become more confident in His voice as I gain experience in obeying it. I wish there was an easier way, but there's not. You know how you become confident? In, in the voice of God, do what he says and watch him come through. And the next time you're going to be a little more comfortable obeying him. And I believe that is exponential. We, we increasingly become comfortable with responding in obedience as we see God work. And number three, schedule time to engage the mission. We schedule time to accomplish everything else that is important to us. When we look at our calendars, when we look at our agendas, I am, I am a list person. I make lists for like every day of the week. What, what details of each job do I, do I need to get accomplished on each day and, and what's going to happen? And, and then I, I do it in my phone and I put the little bubbles beside it so I can check them off because I think that releases endorphins and I feel good about it. And I can check things. I put every little detail because every, every little check mark makes me feel good. But you know what I rarely have on there? Evangelize today. I take the time to schedule everything else that I'm tasked to do. And yet sometimes fail to include the task that I've been given by God on that list. We create routines and set reminders that help us become more effective in our lives. We have employers that expect us to get certain things done and they expect a certain amount of time to be invested into those tasks. If you don't believe that, Jonathan, tomorrow at like 2 o'clock, just tell your boss you're leaving. He'll say, no, I don't think so. 
Because he expects you to invest a certain amount of time in doing what he's asked you to do. We schedule our social activities. Everything in our life that that has value on on any spectrum of the scale, we we take time to schedule. We put that in there. We we write it down. Whatever method you use. But it's scheduled. It's intentional. We have a mission from God, church. We can't be lackadaisical and just say, well, if the opportunity arises... Oh, remember, we're already operating in a, in a time-deficient status. So the opportunity probably isn't just going to arise. We need to schedule these things. Our lives are mapped out with clocks and calendars, but where is the mission on our map? <clears throat> Could it be that intentional effort into the mission is the key to unlocking or maybe better stated, uncovering the moments that God is trying to reveal to us. I told you earlier, I don't think that the, the scriptural accounts that we read were just something that happened a long time ago. Maybe if I had some intentional time set aside for reaching lost people, where I could just defragment my mind and take it off of everything else and, and just focus a, a measurable amount of time on accomplishing that mission, those things would become more obvious to me. I would see them and we would begin to see the supernatural. We would begin to see things take place. I'm going to close. You can come. I'm sure there's a song just burning in your heart for this message. This is my question as we close. What could God do with an hour a week. We got 38 and a half hours to do all the other things that we're responsible for. What could God do with one hour a week? One hour a week spent doing door hangers, door to door evangelism, calling and inviting friends to church, creating social media ads, doing Bible studies in person or, or Zoom or online. One hour a week just in my community, just, just being available. Wow, an hour, that, that's, I understand it's a hard sell today. An hour, that's a lot of time to give up. And I'm not even being facetious, I, I get it. An hour is hard to come by. But one hour a week would be four and a half hours a month, on average. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. That'd be 54 hours a year that I could stand before God and say, I, I, I put in some effort. You tasked me with a mission and I, and I did something. Times the number of people in your family. Times the number of people in our church. How many God moments could be encountered if we found the time to dedicate an hour a week I'll close with a story that, that just exemplifies this. And I don't know if, if God was just testing me to see if I would act on what He was leading me to preach or what the deal was. But I had... Do you remember what day it was? <clears throat> One day this week. A ri- ridiculous day. I woke up or got going, left my house at 7.30 done some paperwork in the morning, left my house at 7.30. By 8.30, I had 25 phone interactions. I don't know what, and they were all different subcontractors and people just bing, 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 driving me crazy. Then I had to get a tire changed. I needed to get two quotes done at Home Depot, so I thought, here's a way I I can compile these things. I dropped the truck off at the tire place that's in front of Home Depot. I make my way out the door, and I've got a two by four with stuff written on it and papers in my hands, and there's some people there. Hey, guys, sure is hot today. Have a good day. And I'm, I'm almost running. I'm like jogging across the parking lot. I got about halfway across the Home Depot parking lot and felt God say, you need to go back and invite those people to church. And I'm like, I'm like a long way away from them now. That's, that's awkward to turn around and walk back up to them. Because it's strong enough. <laughs> okay. 
So I turn around and make my way back over there and I, I get close and I start to hear something that doesn't quite, quite sound right. Like he's listening to something on his phone, but it, it was odd enough within society to capture my attention. And I walked up I said, hey, what are you listening to? He's like, just some music. What kind of music? He had already turned it off. You know, by as soon as I questioned him, he turned it up. He said, this is a gospel song. I said, that, that's what I thought. And I had an opportunity to sit and talk with him for a few minutes. And it, it cost me maybe five minutes. Five minutes that if you were to ask me when I was walking out of the doors of that tire store, if I had five minutes, I would have told you no. I was 30 minutes behind. I don't have five minutes. But I don't know the impact of that. I just know that God prompted me. I was obedient. I had a good conversation with these people. They took down my information. They live locally. Maybe they're going to make their way to church. I don't know. That's out of my hands. But there's God moments all around us. It would have been so easy for me to just, if I would have taken another two or three steps, I probably could have got it out of my mind. And I would have been well on my way and I could have went over there and been five minutes more ahead and getting my quotes done. But to what end? I still got all my stuff done. It didn't really take anything away from me. So that's my question for us today as we close. And I want to invite us to the altar like we do. I don't really have any idea what you're going to sing. I don't think it matters. But the question is, what could God do with an hour? And maybe the better question for us to ask ourselves in prayer today is, okay then, Lord, where can I, where can I carve out an hour? That's the hard part. But God, this is important for you. This is the job you gave me. So where can I, where can I carve out an hour? It might look different for everybody. I want you to stand. She's going to play. And she's going to play so that you can pray without anybody hearing you. And we're going to come to the altar and we're going to talk to the Lord for a little bit. Get our mind back on the mission. Tune our ears to His voice. And hopefully leave here challenged to schedule some time for his mission. <clears throat> hey folks, Pastor Jason here again. I pray the message you just heard inspires you to draw closer to God. We also believe at United Church that it's very important to be connected to a local assembly. If you're in the Fergus Falls or surrounding area in Minnesota, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. If you're not and you're looking for a local church where you live, we'd love to help with that as well. Take the time to stop by our website, fergusunited.org. Send us a message letting us know where you live and we would gladly connect you with a great local assembly. God bless. Until next time.